I'm your moderator, Chris Paul. Let's be reasonable. Okay. You don't get on the mechanical bull if you expect a smooth ride. That's not what it's for. When it starts bucking, you hold on and learn to ride. It's high noon! For Thursday, August 12th, 2021, follow the podcast on the Telegram Messenger app at t.me slash I'm your moderator or join the discussion thread at t.me slash I'm reasonable. You can also find me on Gab and Getter at I'm your moderator. The Substack is I'm your moderator and the merch site is www.cancelcotour.com. And if your browser's having problems, go to shop.spreadshirt.com slash cancel dash couture. Today is the 204th day of Barack Obama's third term, as served by the half-dead, demented, degenerate, ventriloquist dummy fake proxy president Joe Biden, who is overwhelmingly compromised by the Chinese Communist Party, the patriarch of one of the most corrupt families in American history, and the father of one of the most despicable sons to ever walk the earth. That's Hunter Biden! So congratulations, commies! You have your story and you're sticking to it, but just like always, your story is completely wrong. And it's wrong because you are of the belief that all the smart people believe the same thing and that you're a smart person. So when everybody who says the things that you believe, being such a smart person, you understand that they're smart people. And then whatever they say, you believe. Isn't it amazing how that works? One day you'll realize how bad that policy is, but apparently it's not today. And you see, the thing is, when you only listen to the people that already agree with your point of view, you're really not getting the whole story. And everything you believe is based on the fallacy that the information available to you is all the information you need. And the more times you are told that that information is correct, the harder you believe it. You don't actually have to find out. You don't actually have to understand the information on your own. All you have to know is that the conclusion you like is the conclusion that all the very smart people say that doesn't work haven't you realized it by now come on kami you're better than that and if you are better than that and you have realized it by now maybe you're a redeemable kami and with that i would like to give a warm thursday high noon welcome to all of the redeemable communists out there. Hello, commies! Welcome to the show. Don't know how you found it. Maybe you're just trolling me. 
Or maybe you're the commie I met at the bar yesterday. Who knows? And by the way, the commie I met at the bar yesterday was a nice commie, but he also trusts Stephen Richer from Maricopa County. That's crazy because Stephen Richer looks like the singer from Prodigy if instead of making strange music, he just lied all the time. But it was interesting because he also made the case to me for election reform and there's no way that anything happened in 2020 and it wouldn't be taken down and all of that. And we had a fine conversation. I'm really not trying to slight him. He's if if he happens to be listening, he'll be like, dude, you seem nice. And now you're calling me a commie. Hey, commie. I call everybody commies if they're commies. Doesn't mean you can't recognize your commie and stop being one. But if you think that Joe Biden is a legitimate president, you're a commie. But I had this thought while he was uh, telling me about how we need voter ID and we need some more election security. I'm like, well, wait, why do you think that if you don't think the election was stolen? So you think that there's some validity to people's doubts, but just not enough. Well, Okay, if you think there's some validity to the doubts, don't you want to know? I mean, it's only the future of the free world at stake. It's only the future of all future elections at stake. It's only the future of your family's lives and your children's lives and your future grandchildren's lives that are at stake. But we can probably just solve that with the same voter ID a bunch of these states already have. Now, that does not sound right, Kami. But I also spoke to some smart people here as well who don't see the full picture of election theft. It's not, quote unquote, proven yet, which I mean, to that I say. What? And of course, you know, I'll, I'll have a conversation. And by the way, again, smart person, really enjoyed talking to him. We've talked a few times throughout our time here. But I start going through some of the stuff that happened before the election. And he's like, yep, yep, yep. Know that. Yep. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. And I'm like, bro, that's like eight things before the election that show you the election was at Best illegitimate. More accurately, it was illegitimate and illegal. But really, it was illegitimate, illegal, and stolen. Okay? So those are the three levels, I think. I haven't thought a lot about this. Kind of just came to me while I was talking. So I should put some more thought into it. But certain people think the election was legitimate. Certain people think it was not. If you think it was legitimate, well, you're a child-brained communist. If you think it was illegal, well, good. I guess we can have the election taken down, as it should have been, because you can't certify an illegal election. And if you know that they did certify an illegal election, and we just have this president in the White House, and you're not speaking up about it, Well, still commie.
if you know the election was stolen, well, then we're in a whole new world now, aren't we? Because we have a walking national security threat pretending to be president right now. And we have two million illegal immigrants flooding into the country, 40 percent of whom in something I read today right now have covid. So I guess, oops, or what? Just leave the guy in there. We'll just figure it out in some right of center mainstream news sites. We'll all collectively form our opinions together. You know, I I was recalling when I debated uh, Wilfred Riley a few months ago about election fraud on the Braver Braver Angels podcast. And I was like, okay, this is a smart dude. But right now he's telling me that he thinks the only malicious influence into the election was the big tech and media side of things. And I'm like, well, that's not a conversation about election fraud. For those of you who heard that debate, I don't need to go into it. But we were supposed to be debating election fraud, not big tech and media. That's crazy. And that's not election fraud. I'm saying it is 100% legitimate and provable that this election should never have been certified and that indeed it was stolen. Okay. And so, you know, when I'm in a one-to-one conversation with somebody and I don't agree with them, I try to be as polite as possible and respectful of their position and tell them what stuff of what they're saying I do agree with. But then I also want to really get to the bottom of what they believe. And, you know, we're talking about most people in this world have not read the executive orders that Trump signed imposing certain sanctions on foreign election interference. Okay. We're talking about people who have not read Matthew DePerno's case in Michigan. They haven't really spent much time on any of it. You know, a lot of people legitimately did move on and did tune it out. And the more they hear that all of this is some sort of crazy conspiracy and can't be true, the more they believe it because they hear it more and more and nothing happens that shakes them off that belief. And they only believe that because that's what they were constantly told right away. An impression was formed. And once an impression is formed, To convince the person the impression is not true, you need an overwhelming amount of evidence on whatever terms they like, even though if this information had reached them with a clear head, they would have had no problem believing it. All right. So the bias is immediately imprinted by the media. And then we have to work from there. All right. So I'm going to leave that aside. I did have some great conversations this week. There's no doubt about it. And the people I'm talking about, I have respect for. I'm not trying to denigrate them, but I also want to use these conversations as examples. And I think they're valid ones. And I'm not saying anything that I didn't say directly to them, you know, except for the commie part. So let's get down to business. The cyber symposium wrapped up a few hours ago. I'm sorry I'm coming to you late, but I won't probably be able to get a show up tomorrow on Friday. So this, I hope, will work out. Because if you like to listen to the show when I put it up in the afternoon, well, listen to this then. (laughs) And if you're one of those morning people who listen to it the next morning, well, normal schedule for you. 
except on Saturday, I suppose. Let's talk about the big elephant in the room before anything, because I know that that's what people are feeling the most uh, uncertain about, nervous about. They don't understand it, whatever. Okay. And that obviously is the PCAP situation. Okay. I had, and I think a lot of people had a false expectation of what was going to happen here based on my ignorance of uh, cybersecurity data science. Did I say enough technological words? I thought, and I think most people thought, and you know, maybe part of this is Lindell not communicating clearly what this would be. I thought that they were going to give over this PCAP data, let the cyber experts on site, go through the data while they were here. And at the end of the day, Thursday, we were going to like have a big reveal, right? They were going to say either, oh, well, I guess uh, Timmy gets $5 million or no one's been able to refute it. Here we go. We're heading down to the Supreme Court. And I think that was a wrong impression to have, and I'm sure I repeated it. So apologies for that. I was going on the best understanding I could. That understanding was not complete. In the morning yesterday, I talked to one of the cyber experts who was on site and credentialed and everything else, right? Certified in all the technology. And she told me that the first day was primarily just data transfer stuff and security measures and whatnot. They were also spending the first day or so just trying to vet the cyber experts that were there and sniff out any potential intrusions or infiltrations and then deal with those. So I'm not sure if I said this on the Tuesday episode that I did in the evening, but it was clear to me Tuesday night maybe after I recorded or yesterday in the morning that there was no way we were going to be getting an answer on any of this stuff. We wouldn't know anything at all until at least Thursday. But that understanding too was wrong. Even the cyber experts don't have any of those answers at this point. And I'm going to play this clip from Phil Waldron who ran the red team in a second but before that, I want to talk about what a red team is, because this is a term that I have had to learn and understand this week as well. This is from CSO Online, and it's an article from January 22nd, 2018, called Anatomy of a Well-Run Red Team Exercise. Okay, subheadline, red team exercises and particularly assume compromise or assume breach exercises generally provide the most insight into your blue team's readiness to face an attack. Okay, so this is a cybersecurity scenario where the blue team is the defense team. The red team is the offensive attack team, and you're trying to determine the durability of your cybersecurity. So let's go to the article, and I'm going to jump down to a section called Red Team Goal Should Be a Nightmare Scenario. Now we get to the interesting part of the exercise. The red team must be given a goal. 
What you choose to task the red team with will obviously have a material effect on what happens next. The goal you should pick should be something that keeps you up at night. If you're a company with, a, with lots of retail locations, you might set a goal of obtaining and then pretending to exfiltrate a large number of your customers' credit card information. If you're a pharmaceutical company, you might set a goal of acquiring and exfiltrating information about medicines you are developing. If you're a public company, you might set a goal of getting access to financial data in the window just before a quarterly earnings report, right? So these are all nightmare scenarios for the people who own and run these companies and their cybersecurity. Like, what is the worst thing that could happen? That's what you think about. That's what you have the red team try to accomplish. And if they're not able to do it, then you can feel a certain level of security. The gist of the idea is to think big. Giving the red team a relatively constrained exercise is more akin to greenlighting a pen test. That's a penetration test. Said another way, if you give the red team an exercise like steal user X's password, they might come back in four hours and hand it to you. It's the number of moves that the red team needs to make from the compromised system to achieve the target you have set for them that will determine how many lessons you learn from the exercise. So another mistaken impression, it seems, is that Waldron and Josh Merritt and the other people on the red team were actually part of the Lindell cyber team who's had this data for months and months and validated it. And that's not the case, okay? These guys got the data a little while ago. I'm not sure the exact date, but it's within, I've seen everything from the day of, to three days before, to two weeks before. But it was not that these guys were there with Lindell the entire time validating the data. They were there for a different purpose. And all of this is crucial to understand, okay? And so part of the red team function is to continue vetting, the vetting process, I should say, of the cybersecurity experts there right? They want to know if any of those cybersecurity experts present a threat to this extremely valuable data they have, right? All of these people are certified and I believe they're under NDA to participate. And you would think that to be given data like that, you would require those two things. To be smart about what you're doing with that data, you would then also want to have your team vet these people by running them through certain exercises or whatever else, okay? And then if you find leaks or potential bad actors, no matter how close to the inner circle, those need to be dealt with. And Lindell said pretty clearly on stage this morning, that that scenario had occurred, okay? Now, I'm going to play this clip from Phil Waldron, and I think you're going to understand even more. Mike Lindell Cyber Symposium. Right now, we're going to talk to Phil Waldron, who has a an extremely important role here, who is uh, setting up what's called a red team. And uh, Colonel uh, Waldron, can you tell us what a red team is? Yeah, so... Uh, Mike's team contacted me a couple of weeks ago and asked us to put together a, a, a team to validate some of the cyber data. Uh, what a red team is, is you look at a set problem set, whatever it is, uh, from the perspective of the enemy. So you look at it, how to 
tear it apart, how to penetrate it, how to invalidate it, how to um, basically defeat it. And uh, you, it's always about looking at the problem set from the perspective of the enemy. And that's really what we're putting together is a pretty diverse group of cyber experts with unique skill sets. They've got some common overlapping skill sets, uh, but they're able to, to shred through information and uh, determine its validity and whether it's uh, whether it's valid, number one, and then how it's useful, what's the best way for it to be used. So based on what you've seen so far, how solid is the information you've been looking to validate? Well. We've only gotten a small piece of, uh, of the information. Um, we were, were told that one of the key people in the group uh, had to go, go to the hospital, I think literally the day before, Monday or Monday or Tuesday or so, uh, from a cardiac event or something. And so uh, we, don't, we haven't looked at the whole slice, so we're really unable to uh, validate or invalidate at this point because uh, we just haven't seen enough of the data. So it's a work in progress. Yeah, and, and with what we've told the sample size uh, is, it's it's probably a month-long month, month or, or six-week-long project, 37 terabytes of data that's uh, got to be decrypted and parsed and organized and you know made into something useful rather than uh, just raw data. Okay, so everybody's got that, right? The data itself from the moment you start analyzing it, could be a four-week to six-week-long process, at least, according to Phil Waldron. So it is clear that we all had the wrong idea about what this was going to be, all right? And if you want to blame Lindell for giving us that impression, that's fine. But one thing we shouldn't do is assume that because Lindell may have given us a false impression or may have said things in a way that wasn't clear enough so we formed our own false impressions, that therefore the PCAPs don't exist and the data isn't real. That's an insane logical stream, okay? The conclusion does not derive from those premises. And our premises were false, okay? So that is an idea we all just have to let go of. If you're disappointed and frustrated, I understand. But let's all take a deep breath and understand what Phil Waldron just said. All right. Lindell has said over and over and over and over that at the cyber symposium, he was going to give the data to the cyber experts to analyze. I'm not sure he might have said that all this data would take that long to analyze. Maybe he said it in the documentaries. I don't know. Okay. But one other thing that I noticed today was that oftentimes people will have said something in one location and assumed that the person they're talking to is already aware of the thing that they've already said. All right. So in their mind, they've already said that thing and don't need to say it again. But the person they're talking to doesn't know about that thing. All right. So Lindell could have said over this period that this much data would take four to six weeks. I don't know if he did. All right. So that's part of the false impression that we all held. But when you hear that that's the case, then you can't 
then say, Ah, oh, we were promised PCAPs! This is all a lie! It's damaging the movement! Settle down, all right? Then let's go beyond that and see what else Lindell said this morning. He said he was physically attacked last night. He said there was a poison pill attack into that data process, right? If you follow Monkey Works, you can see that there were essentially spy planes flying back and forth over the venue all three days, or at least the two days. I'm not sure if he's put one up for today, just as they were over the Maricopa audit. And Waldron just told you that a member of the actual cyber team had a considerable life-threatening medical event that was not caused by the vaccine, actually. Okay? Now, on Telegram, I have been confidently saying that I am certain the PCAPs exist. The reason I'm saying that is because I'm certain that they exist. A lot of doubt was cast on that idea by some poorly framed, let's say, reporting by the Washington Times. But I knew about that medical event. I wasn't sure it was going to be reported. Phil Waldron has said it. So that was part of what informed my theory. I knew on a bunch of different levels, the data process, the way they had planned it, had been slowed down. Part of that was because this event has been under consistent cyber attack for the entire duration. They have experienced hundreds of thousands of attacks. And I don't think that as non-cyber people, we are apt to understand that. And I'm going to see if I can put it in like an analogy or something. You know, you see a successful cyber attack like the one we hear about with the colonial pipeline or the meat processing thing or whatever else the CIA decides to attack. And we think, oh, well, that's what a cyber attack is, right? So the cyber attack happens, the thing gets knocked over, and that's that. Well, cyber attacks are countless individual events, and the successful cyber attacks have an effect, all right? You don't see all the cyber attacks that fail. That's the thing, all right? So this entire process has been under surveillance and attack and infiltration since the very first day, all right? And remember what we talked about Tuesday, how many different uh, narrative distractions were presented right as the cyber symposium started to take everybody's eyes off it, okay? This event has been under constant attack. Why is that? Is it because the PCAPs are fake? I don't think so, Kami. So the Washington Times did some misleading, poorly framed reporting this morning. And I don't know if that was intentional or not. I know it had a bad effect on people's frustration levels and their feelings and their impressions of the professionalism. And by the way, some of that was due to the presentation of the code monkey thing yesterday and how the first day was a little inconsistent. But since yesterday after lunch, they, the whole cyber symposium has been just uh, like bang, 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 hammering everything on the evidence of election fraud. It has been a series of really good presentations after that. 
But another interesting aspect of this is something that Lindell and Phil Waldron came up on stage and mentioned uh, about an hour into today's session. They said that Larry Johnson is a CIA shell. And this is something that I have heard before from someone who I consider to be an eminently reputable source about this kind of information. All right. So that was already in my mind. And I have expressed portions of that sentiment before. Okay. So when they come up and say that, I'm like, yep, that makes complete and total sense. Now, one of the things Larry Johnson, who often gets published at the Gateway Pundit, one of the things he writes about a lot is how much he doesn't like Dennis Montgomery. Okay, so Mike Lindell has said he's gotten this information from multiple sources. Larry Johnson has put out there that the only source could be Dennis Montgomery. And also Dennis Montgomery is a very, very bad man and a known fraudster. And no one should ever believe him ever. And he harps on it a lot. But other people do as well, including people who I find to be good reporters about other subjects like Brian Cates. And there's a circle of people who have spent a lot of time trying to cast doubt about the legitimacy or even the existence of the PCAPs based on the idea given to them by CIA shill Larry Johnson that Dennis Montgomery is the source of the information and Dennis Montgomery cannot be trusted. Dennis Montgomery is under a gag order, similar to the one Michael Flynn was under. Dennis Montgomery cannot defend himself just like Michael Flynn could not defend himself. So the initial impression gets settled in people's minds. It becomes a bias that clouds their thinking about everything else. Okay? That is just a simple bias. And I'm not saying that the people who have that bias, are bad people. But I am saying it has affected their work and their ability to view this situation for what it is. So we have people reporting inaccurate information based on a bias they received from a CIA shill about a man who is legally not allowed to defend himself. Okay? And we're all supposed to believe that Lindell's information came from this one person, even though Lindell says he has this information from multiple sources and has never said that that's one of them. Also, if you trust General Flynn and General Flynn publicly campaigns for the gag order to be taken off of Dennis Montgomery. What do you think that means about Dennis Montgomery and Michael Flynn's eyes? Like this entire conversation to me is so frustrating because it obviously all generates from this one little seed of bias that we now know was planted by a CIA shill. So really, what are we talking about here? Okay. I understand where some of this doubt comes from, but to be so hardened in that doubt 
and need such overwhelming evidence on the other side of it before you'll release that doubt to me seems not very reasonable. Michael Flynn was publicly campaigning for Trump to release that gag order. Did it make it to Trump's desk? I don't know. But if it did and Trump decided not to do it, what do you think that means? Probably that Trump didn't feel like he needed to do it because Trump was in control and the good guys were in control. So what was the impression? What did we think was going to happen, right? We all know that we can't read PCAPs. The expectation was that the cyber experts would read them all for us and be like, yep, they say exactly what Lindell says they have, right? That was all of our best case scenario, but that wasn't even a possible scenario, okay? And it doesn't matter how that impression got generated. It's still a false impression, which leads to a bad expectation that cannot be met, all right? When you realize the expectation cannot be met, to still be mad that your expectation was not met is insane. Now, that is not going to stop the mainstream media from attacking this whole thing, all right? And none of us are going to like to read those things, but the mainstream media is never, ever right. It's literally not their purpose. Their purpose is to create a narrative so the commies can win. We all know it. The media is not right a little bit. Sometimes they are completely wrong all the time because that's what they're trying to do. If you think people on the communist team are not flipping out, I encourage you to go to the info stream, t.me slash I'm your moderator, and go back to like, I don't know, 6 p.m. tonight, maybe 5 p.m., something like that on my timeline. And look at the video of Jenna Griswold, the Secretary of State in Connecticut. She is in a state of absolute panic because of what was shown at the Cyber Symposium yesterday. Now, there were some hiccups with that presentation and also the substance of the presentation, and this was the Code Monkey Z section, okay? So Ron Watkins called in so that they could analyze the forensic image from the election systems in Mesa County, Colorado, that the county clerk, Tina Peters, had come forward with, all right? So when they came out on stage yesterday in the morning and said, this is even better than the PCAPs, a lot of people were like, oh, okay, yeah, I thought so. You don't have the PCAPs because there's nothing that could ever be better than the PCAPs. But this is better than the PCAPs. It shows clearly that the system was set up to be easily infiltrated and that it was changed. Okay? It was not certified to run a legal election. Therefore, the election was not legal. Therefore, it should not have been certified. And Joe Biden's not president. All right? There's already proof of the same thing happening in Antrim County and Maricopa County. Okay? Do you understand what that means? That's Colorado, Michigan, Arizona. 
Do you think it didn't happen in other counties around the country, particularly the commie counties that they have to win? If you can prove that on a widespread basis, that's it. You don't need to explain the high concept theories behind the PCAPs, okay? Remember how Bannon talks about it, right? The air game and the ground game. I've talked about it before too. Two different paths that people can go down, right? But they're both still running side by side. Some people only trust the one side. Some people trust both of the sides. This is one of those things that kind of marries them. If you can see that the system, the forensic image of the system from the election management system in the county clerk's office in Mesa, Colorado, if that is set up to allow for interference through the Internet, we're done and dusted, right? That shows that the election should not have been certified. If a state decertifies their election, well, where's Joe Biden's Electoral College win? You understand now? Because a lot of people think that this whole cyber symposium was a disaster. Now, part of that is a lot of people don't like listening to Lindell. And if that's you, then you're going to think it's a disaster no matter what. Because the more Lindell talks, the more you think it's a disaster. Again, I think that you should evaluate how much the party of false decorum is affecting your brain when you are dealing with that. Okay, you're worried that the thing you're viewing isn't something that you can show to someone else to convince them. Or maybe you have your own doubts and this makes you doubt it more. But that's not the substance. All right. The way Lindell sounds is not the substance of the claims. And once you understand the claims and once you understand that these claims have been laid out, then you should be happy about the fact that Lindell being Lindell is what puts millions and millions and millions and millions of eyes on this thing. Lindell funded this thing. This thing doesn't exist without Lindell. Now, you're mad that the PCAPs were oversold? Well, I guess we got to wait and see, don't we? Because now we know beyond a shadow of a doubt, there was no way anyone was going to figure it out by this time. All right. Again, doesn't matter how you got the false impression that led to the false expectation that now has not been fulfilled because fulfilling that false expectation would be impossible. It only matters if the underlying information is true. All right. But realize that they are not lying to you when they say that the forensic image from Mesa County, Colorado is better. If you don't find that satisfying, I genuinely don't know what to say, okay? I can't convince you to change your mind. I don't want to change your mind. Have whatever impression you want to have. Think about it for as long as you want to think about it. But this is what it is. We've been told this. And as soon as you know, the data would take that long no matter what. Really, where else is the argument? So part of what made that data seem less powerful than it is, and by data, I mean the forensic image, is because it took a while to get the code monkey feed going because of attacks. And they were all viewing the forensic image for the first time. So they had to explore it. 
And, you know, my first impression, I think, was probably the same that everyone else had, which was, shouldn't you guys have, like, done this in private and showed us once you, once you found stuff? But, you know, maybe the process of discovery was helpful, too. I'm sure there were a lot of eyes on the enemy team on that the whole time, being like, oh, I hope he doesn't look there. So in terms of fucking with the enemy, great move. Now, one strange thing happened during this whole thing, and that was that Ron Watkins, Code Monkey Z, got a message from his attorney, which has been reported to be Ty Clevenger, the guy who was foying the Seth Rich files and then getting really upset that other people were sharing the FOIA, I guess. But Ty Clevenger messaged Code Monkey Z and told him to read a statement about how the forensic image was from stolen hard drives in Mesa County. And that just wasn't true. Tina Peters came out two seconds later and said it wasn't true, but the damage had already been done. Now, this may have just been a totally honest mistake by Code Monkey, and I'm happy to accept that because I think he's probably a decent dude and maybe just got bad intel, which is especially bad when it's from your lawyer. But that kind of says a lot about the lawyer, doesn't it? So... The afternoon presentations yesterday by Dr. Shiva and by Captain Seth Keschel were both brilliant and very compelling and very shareable. All right. Those are the kinds of things that you can put in front of serious people who are unfortunate commies. And this is the sort of stuff that can sway them because they are watching very serious people lay out a very cleanly told story about what actually happened. Today we had Mark Fincham, Sonny Borelli, and Wendy Rogers do a panel for about a half an hour where they talked about the Arizona audit, how much integrity there was behind it, how well the Cyber Ninjas and the other associated groups performed in doing that audit and what that means. That was excellent. And then there was a panel this afternoon where Colonel Phil Waldron discussed when DNI Ratcliffe commented before the election that there was proof of Iran interfering with the election by gaining access and infiltrating voter registries around the country. And you can go look back and look this up. The contemporary reporting by Newsmax said that that part of what Ratcliffe said was not in his prepared statements that had been reviewed by Christopher Ray and Chris Krebs. And what do we know about Chris Krebs? He's the guy that said this was the most secure election of all time. Christopher Ray, some people believe that maybe he has some beneficial role here, but up to this point, we know that Christopher Ray is full of shit. But Waldron said from the stage at the cyber symposium that at that point, executive order 13848 and 13849, both dealing with sanctions on foreign interference in American elections had been triggered. 
That is huge news. If you don't understand why that's huge news, go back and read Executive Order 13848 and Executive Order 13849. At that point, I think maybe you will understand the magnitude of what's happening. All right. It is incredible to me that smart people who follow this stuff don't know that. And also, you know, just a comment on the cyber symposium in general. Many of the people in that room were seeing all of this information for the first time. And that blows my mind, right? I have consistently said, if you don't believe that election was stolen, you're either stupid, ignorant, or malicious, okay? You either see the information and you don't understand what it means and you aren't able to draw the conclusion that the election was stolen, or you haven't seen the information, which means that you have not taken the time to look, which is not a very good thing if you're pretending to intelligently discuss this issue as the two people I debated in that Braver Angels podcast were, or you're malicious and part of it, or you know that Joe Biden is not a legitimate president and you support it anyway, all right? It's only one of those three things. So many people in that room did not know any of this stuff which means they never took the claims seriously enough. And I'm not trying to slight the people in that room. A lot of people haven't gone this deep on it. But there was virtually nothing that I saw at the cyber symposium that I was not already aware of, except for the Colorado stuff that no one was aware of. So the question becomes, was Phil Waldron right that those executive orders would have been self-triggering in some way or that Trump enacted them and took steps according to those executive orders. That stuff is the basis, one of the major components of Patel Patriot's devolution theory, okay? And I was on with Patel. He was doing a live stream on Tuesday night, I posted that in the info stream yesterday. So if you want to listen to that, you can go back and do that. I posted it sometime in the late morning yesterday, Wednesday, August 11th. Okay. And you will see the graphic I designed. If you're just scrolling, if those executive orders were indeed triggered, that is extraordinarily compelling evidence to believe that the devolution theory is real And that the illegitimate president is as fake as I always call him. And that most of what we see happening is a total charade. Okay. Joe Biden literally would not have the power to do the stuff he's pretending to do, which might explain why his secretary of defense and his administration was not filled in on a whole lot of things the military was doing before the fake inauguration. It would also help explain why he has filled less than 20%, I think maybe even less than 15% of the roles in his administration that require the Senate to confirm his nominees. He's in the hundreds out of roughly 800. That's huge. 
Okay, this is not a fully functional administration. And the reason it's not fully functional is because it's fully illegitimate. Now, one of the best presentations of the entire thing was done today by the professor, David Clements. He did about an hour where he acted as a prosecutor, which was his former profession, and went through the case in parallel to a case about drug trafficking. And he said, what's happening in our country is vote trafficking. And that is what is happening in our country. There is a massive organization that is committing the crime of stealing American elections. It has been going on for a long time. It has been built up over years and years and years, and they will commit any secondary crime necessary to preserve their election fraud infrastructure that they have been building up for so long. That is what we are witnessing every day. His performance was brilliant. He laid out the case in an incredibly compelling way. And again, it's the sort of thing that you can share with people and they'll be like, oh, yeah, okay, I get it. He's showing a lot of things that people have seen and just failed to pay attention to. Partly because they didn't have the proper context and partly because individually these things were the sorts of things that the entire media just called a conspiracy theory and people stopped paying attention to. Things like shredded ballots in Arizona and Georgia. That stuff actually does matter a lot. Okay, that's real physical evidence of a crime. And people have a tendency to think, well, you know, if it was real evidence, somebody would have acted on it and we would have found out that this was real evidence. Well, you don't know that people haven't acted on it. You just don't know that it hasn't been reported, perhaps. But you don't know it hasn't been acted on to this point. It seems like Ruby Freeman hasn't been acted on except for the fact that we know that she and her daughter, Wandria, were supposed to give their depositions a couple of months ago, and it got delayed by corruption in the courts again. Also, Wendy Rogers founded an election integrity caucus. There were members of state governments from all 50 states or their representatives at the cyber symposium. And she's getting all those people on board to be active around the country in getting, not seeking, getting, demanding full forensic audits around the entire nation. Seth Keschel announced from stage yesterday that Greg Abbott would be supporting full forensic audits in Texas. And let's hope that happens. The Texas legislature went ahead and passed their election integrity bill. And then the Texas Senate passed their forensic audit bill. You want to know why all those members of the Democrat Communist Party in Texas fled the state and went up to Washington, D.C. on the Democrat Communist Party's dime? It was to avoid that stuff happening to delay it for as long as possible. Well, they failed. 
So if your takeaway from the cyber symposium was that you are disappointed or frustrated, fine, I guess. Okay. But if your takeaway from the cyber symposium is that somehow what happened here hurt the election integrity cause, hurt the cause of turning over the fraudulent election, well, my friend, I think that's not very bright. Maybe Lindell didn't get to a billion views yet, but he certainly got tens of millions. He got the nation's eyes on this, at least the part of the nation that is open to this stuff. And now it's our job to make sure that more eyes get on it. All right. You have the information. It was presented really well. Now, if you watched the cyber symposium for 36 hours, maybe you found a lot of it boring and frustrating and irrelevant. But in the format you'll be able to present it in, it's going to be very effective. Also, Wendy Rogers just tweeted this evening. When I told people to go to my website to sign the decertify petition on Mike Lindell's live stream, it crashed my website again. That is after I upgraded my bandwidth. The hosting provider told me tens of thousands of people per second tried to sign the petition. So does that give you any indication about how effective the cyber symposium was? If it doesn't, I don't think you're thinking very well. Now, I just want to hit a couple of more things that are not cyber symposium related because it's late. James O'Keefe's lawsuit against the New York Times is going forward. The New York Times tried to delay it based on the fact that they were going to appeal and their appeals might take up to a few years, which would allow them to delay and delay and delay without having to be deposed. The judge shot that down. So in the near future, James O'Keefe is going to get to depose the New York Times. That is absolutely massive. It is going to be incredible. And finally, there was an article from The Hill yesterday that is among the dumbest things that has ever appeared online. It's by Christian Spencer, and the headline is, Fully Vaccinated Man Dies of COVID-19. Daughter Says He Was Cautious. Now, what appears there was edited and updated to get rid of one of the stupidest thoughts any commie has ever had. And the craziest thing is that this is the sort of thought that all commies are capable of having because their child brains aren't very good at computation. Okay. Two bullet points in a row. First one says a woman's fully vaccinated father died from COVID-19. The second one says doctors said the condition of the father could have been worse if he was not vaccinated at all. You got that? Something worse than death could have happened to this man if he was not fully vaccinated with a vaccine that doesn't work at all. And when I say it doesn't work at all, I mean, 
let's be honest, it doesn't work at all. There was a Mayo Clinic study that shows the Pfizer vaccine is now only 42% effective. Remember, unless you are in a risk group, your immune system is 99.9% effective. But they are telling people to inject themselves with an experimental gene therapy for a disease that can't kill them while hiding the side effects of the experimental gene therapy. But they're not hiding them well enough to make it so no one can find out. That's where we are right now. 42% effective. Fauci said that for sure, everybody was going to need a booster shot. Got that? Forever vaccines. All of these things that months ago we were conspiracy theorists for saying are now just true. Isn't it amazing how that works? It's incredible to me that the party of false decorum and every commie on the planet and even some non-commies think that what people like me do is irresponsible or stupid even when I am consistently proved right months later. And by the way, I'm not saying I come up with everything all on my own. I'm just interpreting information in the way that I think is the most accurate and trying not to let a bunch of dummies' opinions influence me or silence me. That's it. Everybody can put these thought processes to work in their own lives, even outside of politics. And it's actually a very effective way to plan out your future because you actually do have to try to get good information, think about what it means, and think about what it could mean in the future. These people will call us conspiracy theorists, and then when we are proven right, rather than understand that we were right the entire time, they act like all the information is brand new and they are on the cutting edge by agreeing with it. Come on, commie. You got to work with me here. I will be back hopefully this weekend, but if not on Monday at the same reasonable time on the same reasonable podcast network, I don't have a network. Masks and lockdowns don't work. They lied to you about a pandemic and Joe Biden will never be president. Goodbye. Whether you're a total newbie to podcasting, or even if you've had a show before like me, you know how intimidating it can be to start your show. The tech side especially can be daunting. That's why I'm so grateful Anchor exists. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. They knock down all the barriers to entry. Let me explain. First off, it's free. I don't know how or why, but I'm happy about it. The platform's great. There are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. I can't even begin to describe how much easier it was to get my show on all the major platforms this time than it was a few years ago. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. That's right. You build your show, you make money. 
It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place, and the company is committed to the success of its content creators. Go download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Thanks for listening. Please follow the podcast on Instagram and Parler at I'm Your Moderator. Soon I'll be up on Rumble with a video aspect. In the meantime, if you'd like to support the show, I have a Substack, I'm Your Moderator.substack.com, where you can donate, or you can donate at anchor.fm by searching Be Reasonable with your moderator, Chris Paul. I hope to see you soon. Back out on the rain. Acting as moderator for tonight's broadcast. In my mind, that's the end game. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to follow what I'm reading and thinking throughout the day, you can do that by downloading the Telegram Messenger app and going to t.me slash I'm your moderator. On social media, you can follow me on Truth Social, Getter, and Gab at I'm your moderator. I also have channels on Rumble and BitChute. If you'd like to follow the writing, you can find me at I'm your moderator.substack.com. The merch site is cancelcouture.com or go direct shop.spreadshirt.com slash cancel dash couture. If you'd like to support the podcast financially, the best place to do that is Kofi. Go to ko-fi.com slash I'm your moderator. And all of these details will appear in the show notes with each episode. I'll see you soon down on the range. It's hell!